This is Make Yourself at Home, BizNow's podcast where we talk about how real estate sectors are dealing with the fallout of the pandemic. I'm Miriam Hall, BizNow's New York reporter. On this episode, we're talking about hotels and hospitality in the city, and we're hearing from Vijay Dandapani, who's the CEO of the Hotel Association of New York City. He says this is the worst crisis hotels have experienced in the city in 200 years. About 200 hotels are closed right now. Some of them won't ever open again. But Vijay, who's very optimistic that things will improve, says the association is working to try and establish ways for the city to start functioning again from a tourism perspective. I asked him first about occupancy levels in the city. It's more like 40%, Miriam, uh, and even that number is highly misleading. And I'll tell you why, because out of 700 hotels that were there pre-COVID, uh, nearly 200 are temporarily or permanently closed. Very few are permanently closed in terms of announcements, but 200 are closed. Uh, and another 200 are catering to government business of various kinds, including 139 to people who are in homeless shelters and have been moved to hotels. So you've got those two elements that are distorting the occupancy level. So SDR, which is the most reliable source for occupancy, has, has been taking the occupancy and reporting these 139 plus hotels that are 100% sold, albeit at a really low rate, uh, as part of the occupancy mix, pushing that up to the 40% number that I told you. We've done our own survey of membership, close to 60 hotels we surveyed, and the occupancy is really 15%. So that's taking into account the fact that there's no one staying, there's no one visiting here. The only people who are really here are government workers and homeless shelters. Well, there's some people visiting. <laughs> so No, occasionally uh, I do see people on the streets where I'm yeah. like, hey, there's, there's a tourist. Yeah, well, they're coming from the neighborhood. If you're coming from Florida, you have to fill in the travel health advisory form, and it's incumbent upon a hotel to check. If you, Miriam Hall, have flown in from Miami, then you, as, I'm, as a hotelier, I'm required to ask you, did you fill it in? And you have to show me either a screenshot from your iPhone or whatever phone to show that you submitted this form while sometimes you're given it at the airport. It's an online thing, very easy to fill in, but nevertheless has to be filled in. And what that says is that you're from out of these three states that are exempt from the quarantine, and therefore you have to quarantine in the hotel or wherever you're staying. So that's putting it on the hotels. If you, if you lied to me, let's say, or misled me and said you actually came from New Jersey, uh, I am, it's not incumbent upon me to ensure that you actually came from New Jersey. But it, do the, does a hotel face a fine if it doesn't do proper? Uh, yeah, like- it, you can have a fine. Uh, it's a fine. I believe it's $1,500. I'm not certain of the number, but yeah, there is a fine. And, but more typically, there have been instances when uh, the New York City Sheriff's Office has come upon some hotels. Uh, for instance, at the height of the British variant four to five weeks ago, a couple of hotels, I cannot name them, were visited upon by the Sheriff's Office and they uh, asked to see the uh, travelers who were staying there and asked them to come down to the lobby and say, and asked them if they filled in the traveler's health form and if they were going to quarantine. Okay, so there was someone rang that in then, right? Someone reported it did. This was at the height of the panic when the British variant was disclosed as highly infectious, etc., uh, etc. Et so, what they did was this is what I was told. They uh, got data from the airlines. If you flew off British Airways, came off British Airways at either JFK or EWR, then uh, they knew where you were going uh, and they ended up at the hotel. That's how they knew. Did any hotels get in trouble? Not really, because hotels are interested in complying. We are 
you know, we are a highly responsive, by, in large part, look how there's some bad eggs, of course, but in 99% of hotels are responsive and responsible. So we just, we're not interested in breaking any law, whether we like the law or not, that's not up to us to choose. If we don't like the law, that's our job to try and see how, what we can do to make it more um, amenable and friendly to business. It sounds like a really complicated situation that the hoteliers are in. Well, they are. I mean, look, on top of the headwinds, this is talk about rowing upstream without a paddle, uh, upstream without a paddle. Uh, you've, got no, you've got no business. You've got regulations that are up the wazoo. And, you know, there are more regulations being contemplated in Albany, which really are geared to ensure, as they see it, uh, there's no infection that's spread, either COVID or others in the air. So ventilation systems, establishing uh, workers' ability to question their workplace. So that's some of the legislation that's underway that we are looking to moderate because we are we absolutely believe in safety. If unlike, let's say, short-term rentals, where you have no clue whether there's a hidden camera or whether there was uh, ventilation up to snuff or not, hotels, their reputation is immediately on the line on either Yelp or TripAdvisor or Google reviews, whatever the case may be. Whereas in a short-term rental, uh, let's take Airbnb, there's no way you can see the review. Let's say there's a house on 114 East 48th Street, I'm just making up a number. There's no way you can go in online and see what that short-term rental's reputation is uh, as a non-platform user. If you sign in in the platform, then you go there and of course you can see, uh, subject to Airbnb letting it be in there if it's a bad egg. Um, but here we are, we operate in, in a goldfish bowl. And so for us, it's impossible to not be highly sensitized and sensitive to uh, traveler's safety. So when the, when the government regulation seeks to be onerous, more so than it needs to be, uh, that's when we try to intercede and, and make it more, that's good for workers, it's good for us, it's good for certainly the customer. What would you, how would you rate the government response? When you talk about the regulations that are coming and how the government's handled it, are you happy or, I mean, obviously not happy, but are you, satisfied that they did what they could to protect the industry, but also protect human safety? Uh, you know, government has been, uh, the immediate reaction is, is something we fully understand because none of us knew as to just how virulent this virus was. Every one of us thought by September last year, business is gonna come back and we really didn't need to close our hotels for much longer than that. But here we are sitting in February with most hotels still closed. And that's simply because of the virulence of this disease. So we're not, saying the response was to was draconian ipso facto. We are just saying that, look, um, there can be a more measured response as more knowledge is available. For instance, in the first month, we didn't know whether this was a tactile uh, sort of disease. So people were not touching elevators, people were not you know, doing you know, all sorts of hand sanitation things, which are still good ideas, let me say this, but it certainly doesn't, the spread of this virus is airborne. We now know that to be true. And so social distancing is hugely important. So the point I'm getting to though is, as we progress in our understanding of the disease, other jurisdictions, uh, and so did we here in New York, moderated the uh, response in terms of closing the city. To, to it, what I mean by that is we used to have a 14 day quarantine uh, for coming to the city. Um, now it's three days. And now we, and some others, lobbied heavily with the governor and showed why other, other ju jurisdictions have done a negative PCR test as a basis to come to the country. Certainly the entire Caribbean started that in July last year. And from what we know, there was absolutely no mass infection in any of the islands, any of the islands. So clearly it's a formula that proved to have worked. 
We also know that you know, the chance of getting the infection on, in an airplane are for de minimis. You can get it in the airport, but not in the airplane typically. So, um, so recognizing these things as we move along the path of this disease, uh, government response uh, should, uh, should, be, uh, you know, uh, should be appropriate is what I would say. What is looming in Albany when it comes to regulations that you've got your eye on? Well, one that I just said, which is, you know, this new regulation that has not yet become law, where uh, they're looking to uh, give workers the right to say whether a workplace has the right level of protection and safety from airborne infectious diseases. That's specifically directed at airborne infectious diseases without actually specifying what they are. Today, we all immediately reflect, reflexively uh, think it's COVID. But, you know, the flu, the common cold, that's... Uh, those are airborne infectious diseases. Uh, and so uh, even the typhoid virus thing can be uh, airborne. So at any rate, uh, we all are highly sensitized, as I said, to, to worker safety, to customer safety, and to our own safety. Uh, so we want a regulation that's meaningful, that's pertinent to our current crises. Uh, so one of the thoughts that was bandied about, it's not law, so I don't want anyone to think this is law yet, uh, is the mask mandate. Now, if we in the hotel, hotel industry simply cannot operate on an internal basis uh, with masks because seeing the customer and certainly for the customer to see the agent's face and smile and whatever is, is, is an integral part of the service process. So, so that long-term idea that you would, yes. post-pandemic, everyone have to wear a mask in a, in a hotel. Yeah. To protect forever from infectious diseases, airborne infectious diseases. So uh, we think we're not dismissing that you get a new variant somewhere down the road. Let's remember there was Ebola, there was before that SARS-1 and so on. But we think it's got to be in response to this. So looking at things like the Caribbean, because they, they are all open up and they, I look at them sometimes, they've got kind of complicated ideas of like you've got to test on a certain period of time beforehand and, and, it, you, and you've got to do certain testing there and fill out certain forms and whatever. I mean, is there anything that you're looking at there that you would apply here to New York City that some of the hotels are looking at? And then even today, I, I saw Singapore has got some grand idea that they're going to like open up a, a business center that where you could do business travel, but you wouldn't be able to leave that facility. Like there are complicated and interesting ideas going on around the world. What about in New York? Have you heard anything good from any well, of your- We certainly advocated the Caribbean position to, uh, to Albany, and which was that you take a two hour prior to your departure get a, a PCR test done, you're negative, you go there. And some islands, though not all, said once you land, you, can, you need to have another test. So the Bahamas, for instance, said that you, you get the test and it was specific to a resort. So you can move from resort A to resort B. So the entire period you could be there. And you could also get the test, by the way, in Bahamas after you land. Um, but you could also leave ahead of 14 days. You were supposed to be there for 14 days in that resort. But if you choose to come back before that, you could. But you know uh, the other islands like Turks and Caicos, for instance, or uh, um, or Aruba actually uh, had a simple PCR test that said take seventy hours before you get there, and if it's negative, you just you're free to go anywhere on the island. And they too offered it on the island if you did not take it, except for certain states initially. Uh, New York was very quickly exempted because they realized New York's infection rate went down by July, it was very high. We were the worst affected state, we all know that. But by June, July, we were in a good, good place as far as infection rate. So New York was exempted, but some of the other states were not. And so they said, if you were from those other states, a negative PCR test before you left was not adequate. You had to take one once you got there. 
they gave you the result in six to eight hours, but nevertheless, it was not a, it was an inconvenience, but we didn't rule out traveling there. So those ideas we took to Albany. And to be fair, the governor's office did respond and lowered the number of days required for quarantine. Uh, but it's something we want to keep looking at and suggest, uh, um, you know, an eliminating of that as we go along, you know, uh, hopefully we don't get Is government get receptive though? Is government receptive to those sorts of ideas? It, uh, it's a process, uh, Marion. I mean, look, in terms of indoor dining, you saw it was back and forth in terms of well, one other example that we highlighted to Albany was uh, during the United States Tennis Open, which is the largest sporting event every year in, the, in New York. Uh, two hotels were the doubles, if you will, for the players and their tour entourage only. No spectators were allowed. Um, so these two hotels, one was the TWA Hotel at GFK and the other was the Long Island Marriott. So the players and the entourage stayed there. There was no incident. Buffets were laid out. Absolutely nobody got the disease, thank God, player or entourage uh, person. So we pointed out why hotels are very responsive to rules that make common sense and business sense. So if we are allowed to do that, and remember, these were big banquet halls that were repurposed for buffet stands for the players to eat. So they kept six feet apart. The in and egress and entry aspects were taken care of as well. Exit aspects were taken care of as well. So hotels are, you know, they, as I said earlier, responsive and very responsible. So uh, we want to see if government can go along this continuum and eliminate this three-day quarantine. And we're certainly going to keep pushing at it. So the three-day quarantine you think is the biggest impediment to the city's yeah, for now. Until we get vaccinations, that are that bring us to herd immunity, the famous herd immunity. Uh, this three-day quarantine is definitely a limiting factor. Do you think, I mean, if you could point to one thing happening within the city to bring it back, what would it be? I mean, I think it's Broadway. If Broadway came back, if Broadway was safe uh, to run again? Oh, you hit the nail on the head. Look, Broadway, uh, that there's a flight of people, certainly very prominent people to Florida, West Palm Beach and Miami. These are great cities. I love all of them. I used to go play tennis in these cities. I think they're great. Uh, but at the end of the day, in a concentric area, there is no city like New York in the United States. In a small surf, uh, square footage area, you've got Broadway, you've got the uh, Metropolitan Museum, you've got the Museum of Natural History, you've got the Interpret, you've got countless parks, you know, and the, and the restaurants par excellence that compare with any in the world. So those things will actually draw people back. So uh, that is why I'm optimistic in the medium to long term for New York City. And I think, uh, but to answer your question, yes, Broadway will be a big magnet to bring people back. But, but you know, even, but add to that this, this ability to uh, limit the quarantine or remove the quarantine will be, will be the key determinant. And I think that'll come as soon as we get the uh, uh, herd immunity through vaccination. It's a question of when. Of those 200 hotels that are currently closed, so what, there's 700 hotels in the city, 200 are closed right now. Some of those will never reopen, right? Do you have a number of how many may never reopen? Uh, no, that's a moving target, only because, as I said earlier, we have a liquidity crisis right now uh, for the last year almost, and soon to be our next month. But we also are crashing into a solvency crisis. The longer we wait, the more difficult it is for many hotels to be solvent. Uh, so if you go to... Uh, CMBS data, it's a company called TREP that tracks it. Uh, I think it was 47% of CMBS loans uh, that are defaulted here in the uh, city, hotel loans. Uh, that's a pretty high ratio. Um, it's, a, it's the amount of the loan, not the number of hotels. So uh, the thing is that 
Um, and that, that's in some ways a skewed data or a datum only because CMBS debt is very hard to uh, extend forbearance and, and push out, but it's indicative of just how troubled uh, they are and how insolvent some hotels are. So which is why I think there'll be more than the few that have announced that they're permanently closing, notably the Maxwell, the Omni, uh, Berkshire, and the Roosevelt on 46 uh, or 47th Street in uh, Madison. So, so those, uh, are, those are prominent ones that have announced their closure. There are many, many smaller ones that are just in darkness, so to speak. Um, some will simply move into other uses. That's just the nature of New York City real estate. But what do you think about the government's plan for you, these out-of-operation out of hotels to be turned into affordable housing? Well, that's a governor's plan. Uh, look, uh, developers have never been shy about converting hotels to some other use or converting other things to hotel use. So you know, I've spoken to office owners who are like, mm, we're not keen on it just yet. I mean, we want to see if our tenants will come back. Won't the hotels be like, oh, it's yeah, look, a hotel. I, I'd rather have the hotel guest. Right. Well, look, of course, I mean, which hotel owner built his hotel or Marriott to accommodate just, you know, government business and homeless shelter, et cetera. I mean, those people fairly need those, those things, but uh, hotels are purpose-built for transient guests, right? So, and I think office buildings are even less so, I mean, in their terms of ability to being used for affordable housing because they don't have fenestration windows like hotels do. Uh, so, but even then it's um, for hotels to convert, there are zoning issues, there are um, structural issues even for hotels um, because the footprint for a homeless shelter, for a homeless home, if you will, person from the homeless people, a person in a home is, is larger than the Bay Area for a hotel. Room, typical hotel. So I think those have to be overcome. But if there's enough financial incentive that includes tax breaks, real property tax breaks, et cetera, then I think you will get some movement in that direction. But you know that's a pessimistic look at things given today. Um, and today is dire, but medium term, long term, you're going to see um, much of the market coming back. I think. Uh, if, if it's not affordable housing, uh, those that can't stay may consider other uses. Hostels is one. You know, I don't know if it's, uh, that's got a barrier here in the city because the city previously did not allow hostels to be built on mm -hmm. a kind of fact that uh, you had more beds, uh, you had beds in, uh, in rooms without windows. That's simply not allowed, unlike in Europe. Um, so, uh, but, you know, there could be some change in that regard because I'd rather see a building being used productively as would the city then see it empty and vacant because that leads to vacancies and a blight what would you say are the hotels most at risk of not reopening what hotels mm, um, you don't have to name names but the types of hotels that may not make it through <laughs> there was already a big oversupply before yeah. this yeah i mean look it's actually a range believe it or not there are many hotels i can certainly name a region that were built in long island city uh, that were catering to tourists because it was such a robust market, uh, 67 million and 68 million in 19, uh, and today it's zero. So with Manhattan struggling for oxygen, I don't see how those hotels, some of them at least, survive as hotels. But within uh, Manhattan, there will be some that uh, are uh, likely to be a victim, for, a victim for of this pandemic simply because they're legacy hotels. They've got issues with the, with the nature of the structure, you know, they're not geared for some of the green energy issues that the city has already put into place as law. And uh, they've got years and years of capital, um, you know, expenditure that has been uh, not been put, put into place. And so 
all those things contribute Anna, to its potentially not reopening. Plus, you know, the labor cost is very high for some of them. And so that's, uh, it could be all of that cumulatively. Causing so, like, so like the, for example, we've already seen like the Roosevelt has closed. That's yeah, Roosevelt was, uh, you know, complicated, you know, that's a great building. I don't need to tell you that. It's just a fabulous building. It's an icon. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. a historic building. Uh, it's had a net lease situation. Uh, the, the government of Pakistan owns the hotel in terms of being the net lessor. Uh, Natalie Lessie, rather. Um, so I, I think they had issues with lease. They had issues with FFE, FFME. I don't know what their mindset is. Um, it needed, it certainly needed um, some spiffing up even before this announcement. Uh, but I can't tell you what what was the final thing that pushed them over the cliff, so to speak. Right, but you think the hotels that are maybe most at risk of not reopening the, their doors are just where it's like kind of like too hard basket. There were already a bunch of issues. Well, here's a here's a stat that I can give you. Um, for some of the from we did a poll of many legacy hotels, uh, and the GOP was declining from 2012 to 2019. What's from, a legacy hotel? Sorry, just to be clear. A legacy hotel is you know something that was built 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, mm. that has um, you know I don't want to name names because it has it has some kind of an overtone the word. But that has, you can probably imagine what you yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that has structural issues, you know, simply not possible to get uh, the carbon free footprint that we are all aspiring for by 2050 to, uh, you know, their conduits, their, their stacks, vertical stacks where that go through need major, major work. Um, so that's, you know, that's just very old hotels. So not, not that old, but 30, 40 year old hotels. So. Right, so you did a survey of them, and, and what, what, what did you find out? Well, it was not just a legacy hotel. It was obvious we did a survey of some major hotels, and GOP gross operating profit fell from 2012 25% to 2% in 2019. Wow. <laughs> so it was on a downward track. Here's another stat that everyone should, very few people uh, knew or are willing to acknowledge. RevPAR, as it was in 2007, the best year ever in the history of New York, not calendar year, but you know, 12 months rolling period from June 2007 to June 2008, uh, never came back uh, in nominal terms. Adjusted for inflation, it was down 20% in 2019. 20% compared to 20, 2007 to 2008. Revenue per room was down 20% from 20, yeah, 2007 when, to when, when adjusted for inflation. Nominally, also, it was some 3 or 4% down. It never climbed back to where it was in that period. Now, of course, there are reasons for that. You might say, you know, tourism went up from 2007, I believe it was 47 million to 65 million tourists coming to the city. Why did Revpar not go up? Well, the most obvious answer is because there's a lot of new supply, right? Mm. Uh, which was great for customers. Uh, let's remember that. Uh, customers coming to New York, it was New York's, the whole story was, all, it's too expensive a city to stay. But gosh, you could get rooms for 150 bucks for most of the year, most of the year in pretty decent hotels. And that's kind of the fact that supply was massive. Uh, but they were not viable because the rate was so low and the cost of construction didn't go down with time. Mm. Uh, and particularly if you're the delta between a union wage hotel and a non-union wage hotel is pretty big. It's between 15 and 20 points, um, uh, percentage points that is. So all of that made, made it very difficult for these hotels to compete. Um, so, but it also resulted in this, in all these new hotels sucking out Rev Bar, which otherwise would have grown. 
So when, when we're post-pandemic, how do you think the hotels are going to look? I mean, you're saying you can't have masks and you can't have massive amounts of social distancing, but we're going to be living with diseases forever. Well, look, certain, certain habits that came from the pandemic, some very simple ones. Um, I hate to say this, but most males are the culprits. They don't go to the washroom and don't wash their hands. So that, you know, that's gone, that, that will hopefully go away. That itself is going away. So look, the flu statistics have fallen down dramatically. So certain practices are really good ones. Uh, don't sneeze, you know, out of it seems like something your mother would teach you when you're two years old. Um, but you'd be surprised how many people would sneeze openly. So those, those things are good habits and keeping your distance uh, in, in some way is not a bad idea. But the human need for visual contact in person as well as close contact is going to come back. I think a sense of optimism is in order for everybody. We will be beating other things before we certainly will beat this. <laughs> you said this is the worst we've ever seen, worse than 100 well, years. Well, that doesn't mean we are not resilient. You know, uh, take recessions. When you, the deeper the recession, the faster the recovery generally economic, right? That's mm-hmm. equal to a resilience, human resilience. So, yes, it's the worst we've seen, but that doesn't mean we're going to be in the pits forever. BJ Dandapani is the CEO of the Hotel Association of New York City. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.